Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of a brand new podcast series called Pop Swap, where myself, Dean, and my co-host, Carlos, hello, will be joining you on an adventure of pop cultural selections. We will be chatting about some of our favorite experiences of pop culture of late, and also a few recommendations at the end of each episode of something you might enjoy yourselves. Splendid. That could be movies, TV shows, books, novels, comics, music, perhaps, if we yes. dare to go that route. A rich mix of plenty of different types of topics for you to enjoy. I guess the general goal of this podcast is to get people to discover new things, rediscover nostalgic things, and basically share what we're all passionate about. Yeah, 100%. And uh, not just the listeners, but ourselves as well. Yeah. Hopefully we can share a few different things that we've both been into that we might not have experienced. I'm sure we will. Yeah, so that's the general gist of the show as a whole. And just to get you started, we'll say a little bit about ourselves. So you know who your hosts are and what we're generally into. So Carlos, if you wanted to start us off. Absolutely. I would be what one would consider a super nerd and I'm not afraid to show it. Um, I think what you need to know about me is that I have uh, a really big Lord of the Rings tattoo and a slightly less large Star Wars tattoo. So that should tell you everything you need to know about me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only messing. Um, No, I have always been a massive cinephile. Um, I grew up in a house where movies were... (laughs) essentially the primary mode of communication between me and my parents <laughs> we uh we quote movies on a daily basis there's a list a long list of not just what one would perceive you know highbrow cinema but we like our fair share of guilty pleasures and 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 quotable movies and so i grew up in that that environment and my parents are quite wouldn't say artsy but they they definitely instill a lot of that in me growing up so you know i was watching goodfellas with my dad at at a young age i was watching weird stuff like bbc dramas with my mom and then loving everything you know so i have a bit of a wide a wide mix and of course growing up in the era that i did i guess you'll know my age but i grew up around when lord of the rings was coming out i was a kid when lord of the rings was big so you can kind of tell what generation i'm from that and star wars were my big kind of influences growing up also like harry potter was reading the books as a small child and so those kind of fantasy worlds were what i was um really gearing towards in my own taste path and i guess as i was getting a little bit older you know the era of the superhero movie began and it was really batman begins that cemented that because it felt like the first ridiculous fantasy thing that felt serious and cool you know <laughs> um so i was like right this is actually cool i'm not just a little dweeb um watching something with a guy that dresses up like a bat but anyway um that kind of you know spurred on that interest and i have since in the years um since those movies you know obviously the mcu came out and i discovered a the whole wealth of comics that I have gotten into, and I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about that as well. But also a big, a big reader, a big listener of music. I'm crazy into hip hop. Oddly enough, I have a wealth of knowledge of the history of hip hop, which I'll definitely surprise you about. That's basically me. Who are you, Dean? Excellent. Who am I? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so you, you hit a, a base there about generations, so I guess I'll start with that just to mm-hmm. establish a bit of, maybe a bit of context and difference between the two of us for the listeners. I'd say there's maybe a generation gap between us. Uh, I'm 38, so I would have grown up early 80s. I wouldn't have necessarily experienced too much pop culture during that time as such, mainly down to the reason that I was quite scared of things in general, movies included, for quite a long time. Um, But the one thing that I was really into at quite a young age was games, uh, video gaming, things like that in general. My dad is a bit of a nerd, so uh, we used to have Spectrum ZX and a Commodore and PCs at a very early age and stuff like that in the house. So I grew up playing a lot of video games around that age. Cool. And that weirdly sort of led me 
to cinema in an odd way because I was quite into point and click adventures for quite a long time. Things like Monkey Island, stuff like that. I used to enjoy playing those. And one of the studios released a point and click adventure for the movie Blade Runner. So I got that. And that included a VHS copy of the film, which I sat and watched one evening and was completely blown by a bite and felt my eyes welling up during the ending and Aww. hairs on the back of my neck standing up. And I was like, that's weird. <laughs> Nothing I've enjoyed managed to have that effect on me before. Yeah. What the hell is this? And that kind of led me to get interested in movies in general, really. About a week later, I was watching something on TV, which was a documentary about the making of Citizen Kane. And I noticed through the fact that my VHS video had the name of the director on it, Ridley Scott, that it was the same man who was talking about this old movie called Citizen Kane in the documentary at the time. And I was like, oh, wow, the guy who made that film likes this film. I'll watch this film as soon as this documentary is finished. Yeah. Because it was being shown straight afterwards. And I did. And then I was completely blown away. And I was like, oh, my God, are all films as good at this because I've been ignoring them for years. Mm-hmm. And I've just watched this one. And I've just watched this one. And I just thought, this is mad. If they're all this good, I've got to check them out. so i went on a a very long journey then as a bit of a nerd checking out all kinds of cinema um and that lasted quite a long time and then similar to yourself i've got other interests things like tv shows uh comedy music quite a big thing growing up in the west midlands of the uk Mm -hmm. kind of like quite a diverse mix of music uh love of music there people are quite into the rock scene there and indie music and then there's like influence of kind of like reggae and stuff like that as a big thing in the west midlands and stuff so grew up with a lot of different types of music in the household yeah and then the more comic side that you mentioned and the reading side that kind of came to me a lot later because i decided to have a bit of a break from my obsession with films just got to a point where it was probably all i ever spoke about with my friends and it's all they ever really expected me to talk about and i read quite a good book at least started reading it and then stopped because it had enough of an impact on me that I decided to not be into films as much anymore. It was called uh, The Big Screen by a guy called David Thompson. Cool. It's the story of the movies. It's like a history of cinema from the very birth of cinema. It's quite a dense book. It's really interesting. And reading that made me just think generally about my experience of movies and how they've definitely shaped me and my personality a bit. And maybe I needed a bit of a break with some other forms of interests. Yeah. So I stopped watching films for a year and I just found myself reading instead. And I just read quite a lot of novels during that time. And I got back into comics, which I dipped into a little bit, Mm -hmm. but started enjoying comics a lot more. And that's kind of where I think it's best to end about me because it's that (laughs) love of comics i guess and the films which the two of us ended up working together yeah Um, and we both shared those interests really i guess the comics thing was the main thing that were the two of us were quite into well movies i think was the start like obviously we met because we were working together for a couple of years but to touch on the you know am i getting too into this kind of thing like (laughs) i think any person who's super passionate about all of these kind of things will know how deep the rabbit hole can go sometimes and I find Mm -hmm. my own tastes and passions with storytelling go through phases and it will come across in however many podcast episodes we do because you'll totally know what I'm consuming just by what I talk about because it will be all I talk about Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll talk to anyone who listens so I could go for couple of months watching non-stop brand new movies and just discovering a whole wealth of uh, you know new directors that I like coming up and I'll tell you all about them and I'll tell you what they did before they were doing movies and you know I'll, mm-hmm. I'll just get super into it and then one day I will pick up a comic and be like oh wow this just happens to be a, the first in a series or the first of a shared universe now I need to read everything associated <laughs> with this and research if it's been adapted into a TV show or a movie and watch that. And then that's all I will talk about for another two months. So yeah, I do go through those those phases as well. Or like music where I completely stop reading or I completely stop watching movies and I'm just listening to music all the time. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. So it's kind of curious the way my brain works with that. It's not that I stop myself from doing one thing. I just find myself jumping from place to place and it could be totally random, you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of like the general idea of 
of what this podcast is about really and why we yeah. wanted to do it like it's 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 because we find ourselves both living our lives that way and finding ourselves just flitting between all these different subject matters that we didn't just strictly decide to create a show yeah that's just going to be about one particular subject matter like it'd be very easy for us to just choose movies and just do nothing but movies but chances are the two of us will be flitting between so many things and having so many fads all of a sudden that exactly you'll miss out on lots of other stuff and hopefully if you're listening there you find yourself doing the same things and that's what i'll appeal to you about this show in general is that we're going to cover hopefully quite a few different things and you also, never oh sorry <laughs> Yeah, like I was just yeah. gonna say, sorry to cut across, but like no also the you know, the podcast market and you know YouTube channels and stuff will, you know, by and large just cover one thing. Mm -hmm. You won't have a channel that will be a movie channel and a comics channel or a movie channel and a literature channel. Like they, generally, you find these podcasts are like one thing or the other, and they stick to their passion, and that's all they do. They don't really branch out yeah um and i think i especially got to know that because i was super into movies and then in my teens with specifically the marvel movies coming out i love universes that have a rich mythology and have other aspects to it it was game of thrones as well that did it to me mm -hmm. that i need to consume that storytelling in its original medium as well just to really really get a grasp of it and to to get lost in those worlds so you know yeah mm -hmm. i watched sam raimi's spider-man when i was you know however i was eight years old when those movies were big and i went back and i read some stan lee spider-man just to know what it was like in the 60s and i read all those letters that comic readers used to send fans and i'm there like eight years old going oh this is kind of cool mm -hmm. um so yeah I think I've, I listen to certain movie podcasts where they're all super into these things, but they don't actually go and branch out and oh, broaden their horizons and read something that it's based on. Or same with Game of Thrones, like, oh, we all love the HBO show Game of Thrones, but like they have no knowledge of the books or not that they don't have a knowledge, but like mm. no interest in, in exploring a different medium, you know? So I think... If you're into one side or the other and you have a certain preference, we'll kind of cover everything in this podcast. Yeah, definitely, 100%. Hopefully. Fear not, dear listeners, you have not reached that annoying point of every podcast where they decide to sell you Squarespace or anything else along those lines. I'm just letting you know that when you hear that theme come in and you depart the conversation, we're going to play for you a special clip of one of our favourite choices for this episode. So... Here's the first one. I hope you enjoy, and then we'll return to the conversation. My first choice for this episode is the HBO miniseries The Outsider. Based on a Stephen King novel of the same name and adapted for television by showrunner Richard Price, this show plays out initially as a somber tone crime drama in the same vein as shows like The Killing and True Detective before transforming into genre territory you might more typically expect from a Stephen King story. It's how grounded and subtly this transition is made by the creator that made the show stand out for me. Price brings as much serious commitment to the subject matter as his previous work on shows such as The Wire, The Deuce and The Night Of. To create something which feels in the best sense like a high-end extended X-Files episode, or what HBO might create were they to do their own version of Colchat the Night Stalker. The cast brings as much commitment as Price to the production, with the always excellent Ben Mendelsohn in the lead as a bereaved cop investigating the murder of a local boy, Jason Bateman as the accused suspect, and a show-stealing performance by Cynthia Erivo as a reclusive private investigator helping solve the central mystery. Other notable supporting cast members, Paddy Considine, Julianne Nicholson and Bill Camp give equally great performances. It doesn't outstate welcome at 10 episodes in length, and understands that some things are best left unexplained, even when most of the questions are finally answered. If you enjoy a good mystery that's a genre-bending experience, uh, that's more maturely focused on character development than the tropes you might typically get from a King adaptation, then The Outsider has a lot to offer. So what if you... Uh 
Is there anything interesting you've been checking out lately, Carlos? I mean, since the last time we spoke, I've uh, reopened the whole can of worms and kind of rediscovered a a passion. And I went back to more Marvel content. (laughs) Um, But I went back to the dark stuff that I enjoy. And anyone who has watched or read these things will know exactly what I'm talking about because it's just a pit of depression. (laughs) Um, I started re-watching Daredevil, which I had watched before and loved, and was my first introduction to that character, apart from that god-awful Ben Affleck movie. I started re-watching the show and knew that I had not finished the Punisher show. I would, I'd left it like halfway, so I wanted to just start from the beginning of those shows and, and go through them. And... Um, I had not seen Jessica Jones and I'm really interested in watching that and then going back to the source material because I read last year what is kind of considered probably top tier of the Marvel runs on Daredevil written by Brian Michael Bendis who coincidentally created the character of Jessica Jones and wrote a book called Alias which is her kind of investigation firm. She's a private investigator and she pops up in his daredevil run as well that's what i've been into lately i've been i've been getting into that dark street level gritty side of the marvel universe that is exceptionally dark (laughs) but it's great i love it and and it's it's because it's that vibe of you know i love the fantastical side of ridiculous super heroics but i every once in a while i enjoy the gritty realism of a bit of street level skullduggery and a chap who just puts a bandana on and goes and beats them up you know i'll enjoy that but yeah i have been i rewatched the first two seasons of daredevil and i went back to kind of flick through the bendis era on when he was writing that character from marvel in the early 2000s and i have four books here on my shelf i'm looking at them right now they're kind of considered basically one entire story and bendis wrote the first half and a guy a writer, an amazing writer called Ed Brubaker, wrote the second half of the the run. I kind of count them all as one big cohesive story. And for anyone who doesn't know, Ed Brubaker is the man who wrote the Winter Soldier storyline for Marvel in the early 2000s. And it's what they based that film on. And it had that same tone. He's a predominantly, when he's not writing for Marvel and doing his superhero stuff, he's a pulp kind of noir writer okay um he writes a lot of crime fiction and i'll go on a bit of a tangent later on about him but focusing mainly on daredevil he brought that dark noir street level crime um vibe to it and just carried on what bendis was doing he was the perfect person to write it um but i had never watched or read jessica jones and it was kind of leading me to that because i'd always wanted to watch it so i started that a few days ago i'm on episode seven and it is even darker than Daredevil is, but oh, really, yeah? on a whole other level. It's not. It is not what you expect at all. Um, and it's brilliant. So she's a private eye, and it's set in the Marvel universe of the movies. So it's kind of New York in the wake of the first Avengers film, where attitudes to superheroes are like on street level. They're like, oh my god, these like superstar people that just saved us from these aliens. This is super weird. And she has superpowers, but she's like kind of hiding them and, you know, just trying to survive in this new New York, basically. Um, She has PTSD. She's a raging alcoholic. And gradually you kind of uh, find out that she's a, a survivor of rape, which sends the show into a super dark path but it's it's really well handled and the villain in it who was played by david tennant who is exceptional he plays the purple man kilgrave kilgrave i think his name is yeah he is a telepath he mind controls people he can control people's minds and get them to do whatever he wants and obviously has a history with jessica jones clearly controlled her like violating her own free will essentially and that leads into her discovering that he's back again and he's doing it to other people and the show starts from there and it's it's fantastic just the really heavy themes that you don't expect at all from a marvel property of all of these little metaphors about power over people and what the act 
of violating someone in that way really means it's not about the physical aspect of it it's about having that power over someone and the show does that really really well My second choice for this episode is the movie Feedback, a technically Spanish production which unusually is set entirely in London with a full English-speaking cast. This gripping thriller tells the story of a late-night DJ played by Eddie Marsden, whose character is vaguely reminiscent of a James O'Brien type, not afraid to speak his mind and debate with his listeners on issues of British current affairs. It's hinted that he's accumulated a lot of political controversy recently after experiencing personal attacks based on his suspicions of Russian interference in the Brexit vote. So early on we know this is a man with plenty of potential enemies. With that in mind, his show gets unexpectedly ground to a halt one night as he finds himself held hostage and forced by his captors to deliver a message to the British public. To reveal any more than this would ruin an enjoyable experience with plenty of twists and turns to keep you on the edge of your seat. First-time feature director Pedro C. Alonso does a fine job of maintaining a tense claustrophobic atmosphere throughout, supported by great performances from his cast. The film also deals with some very interesting social issues, which add a bit more moral complexity to proceedings and provide plenty of fuel for Marsden's excellent central performance. I was reminded while watching of aspects of movies such as Panic Room, The Disappearance of Alice Creed, Hard Candy, Green Room, Money Monster, and possibly if you strip away the humour, 90s comedy airheads. I'd say if you enjoy any of the above, then feedback is well worth your attention. Obviously, I read Daredevil, and I don't know if you know anything about Daredevil, but he is a lawyer in Hell's Kitchen, a devoutly Catholic guy matt murdoch and he's blind and he's also a ninja which is really cool (laughs) and it sounds ridiculous but it's really cool essentially you know the main kind of hook of daredevil is his constant moral struggle with believing devoutly in the law and justice and seeing it not work and knowing that he has to be daredevil at night to really put away the criminals by capturing them and then putting them through the law process so it's kind of fascinating then you get to know how he sees the world because he's blind he has to he has heightened senses so he trained himself to hear better and like feel and the way they do that the way he sees and fights is so creative it's brilliant and in the comics they do that really well as well and it's all going in a certain direction and everything makes sense so when they introduce the punisher in season two of daredevil it makes total sense you know because he's putting away these criminals but then they get out again and then in comes this character whose only motivation is to shoot criminals (laughs) is to kill them and then you get this moral dilemma between him and frank castle the punisher which is just it's just great. It's fantastic writing. And Vincent D'Onofrio playing Wilson Fisk, the kingpin, the villain, is exceptional. He is so good. I'd say that's one of the strongest points of those shows and even these books is the villains are entirely compelling. So it makes the stories better. An overlong introduction to what I've been into in the last few weeks. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I, uh, yeah I've I've checked out the first season of Daredevil. Mm. I remember checking that out. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, just It's just one of those things I never carried on with mm. um, for various reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't, sometimes I don't necessarily stick out a particular thing that I'm watching. Yeah. Not on the basis that I'm not enjoying it. It's just that I get sidetracked yeah. with something else and exactly. never get around to continuing it. So it's a, it's one of those for me, the Daredevil shows. They've got a bit of a reputation, haven't they? The, TV adaptations of a lot of the Marvel stuff are being slightly darker, like you say, than yeah, absolutely. the cinematic universe. Yeah, I sometimes I, as much as I love the movies, I just keep coming back to, especially Daredevil, just a, he's a character that I really, really enjoy. And mm-hmm. he's probably, apart from Batman with DC, he's probably the one character that I actually have the most books of as well, because the books behind him are, I find, to be the best written comics. You find in a lot of superhero comics as well, like it's just heavy exposition because it's a big universe and it's a big run by a massive corporation now. So it's all beholden to continuity and big events and it's just, it loses the 
the soul of the story, I guess, a little bit. Yeah. Um, but Daredevil has, for me, always maintained a, a solid kind of hook to its writing, which is very rare for a Marvel superhero book, you know. I'll definitely have to check out Jessica Jones, now you mentioned it. Mm. I never got around to seeing that one. I think the advertising campaign for that one didn't necessarily put me off. I just, I maybe expected something a lot more lighthearted than yeah. what you've just described there from the ad campaign. Maybe yeah. that's just the fault of the people that marketed it. I think the marketing was off because I, like like you said, you know, getting sidetracked with stuff. My whole plan when these shows were coming out was to watch them all. And I only watched mm-hmm. the first two seasons of Daredevil. I haven't even gone on to watch Defenders, the crossover, or the season three of Daredevil, so I haven't even finished them. Um, and I just kind of decided. I randomly picked up um, Garth Ennis's Punisher run, mm-hmm. and then just decided to go back to all of this stuff and started rewatching the shows and reading all these books. And I'm that's that's what I'm doing now. Yeah. So my first choice for today's episode is Sweet Tooth, another comic book series. Written by Jeff Lemire and published by Vertigo Comics, which is an imprint of DC, it follows Gus. Gus is a young half-deer, half-human boy, or hybrid as they're called in the book. We meet Gus and his protector Jeopard in a post-apocalyptic earth affected by a global pandemic. Maybe it wasn't the best time to read this book. Or maybe it was. As Gus sets out to discover what really caused the pandemic, and most importantly, who he is, we learn through his innocent eyes the importance of empathy in our messed up world. Described by some as Mad Max meets Bambi, I'd go more for The Last of Us meets Animal Farm. Running for 40 issues, this heartwarming tale of an innocent young boy in a savage world isn't necessarily the most original concept, but Lemire's execution is near perfect. Coincidentally, Robert Downey Jr. and his production company have picked up the rights to the series and Netflix have commissioned an eight-episode first season with a cast already announced. Now is the time to read this amazing little story. What have you been into recently? Uh, well, I've got to tiptoe around a lot of what I've been into recently, to be honest with you. Hopping because- around. No, just generally down to the fact that, I mean, right now, into the technical side of things, that we had a slight delay in uh, creating this first episode for <laughs> you all, listeners. Uh, and due to that, it, it kind of edged itself into October, which is when we're now recording. So being quite into my horror, mm-hmm. I have been checking out a lot of things, but I'd rather not speak about them right now. I'd rather maybe save some of that stuff for a nice special Halloween episode, which I think we should all record for you. I would agree because I have a little list and some movies that you have sent me mm-hmm. and I'll be watching them Halloween week. Yeah, we'll save that. I won't really chat about too much of the horror stuff I've been checking out, which is kind of a majority of stuff that I've been into lately. But... Other things that I've been watching, what was it now? Let's have a think. Uh, Movie-wise, I'm going back a bit now. I've got Amazon Prime and I checked out a few of the movies on there. I watched Duked Up, which was okay. I had mixed feelings about it. I was quite looking forward to it when I read about it last year because it kind of made itself out to be, I don't know, like a almost like this mixture between Hunt of the Wilder People meets Young Offenders meets a horror comedy like severance or something mm-hmm. the general gist of it is that these young lads go and do the duke of edinburgh award and are pursued by some kind of mysterious aristocrats who chase them down and hunt them out in the wilderness so it kind of owes a lot to a lot of the tropes of those horror movies where you're out in the wilderness and someone is pursuing you, that type of thing. And then there's all this comedy revolving around these young lads trying to deal with the situation. And the performance is quite good, but the balance of like the humours, the humours so cartoony to the stage where some of it is so ridiculous that it allows some, what I consider to be like fairly poor writing yeah. to take place that like, it's not really forgivable. Like it's, it's like there's, there's a fine line it treads between being that ridiculous that you can pretty much just do anything in the plot of that film yeah. to 
it actually having like really brilliant surreal humor to it that makes sense uh eddie Izzard plays one of the villains in it it's got a strong sort of hip-hop soundtrack it's directed in a way with quite a lot of style and energy by the the director i think it might be his first film but uh yeah i don't know i was expecting more i was a little bit mm-hmm. let down by it as a whole i watched another movie on amazon which was the vast of night which was kind of it owes a bit to certain sci-fi movies like maybe close encounters a little bit and there's elements of maybe horror like pontypool in there a little bit if anyone's seen that in the sense that most of it revolves around a dj who's recording his radio show at night in a small american town in the 1950s and a girl who's kind of assistant or, or kind of gets thrown into his world wants to be part of producing radio at the time and she kind of follows him around as he's recording and unusual events occur that kind of lead towards like say more of a close encounters type of ufo incident taking place with people in the town yeah and it's quite nicely directed to a degree but yeah it has lots of virtuoso sort of camera moves that maybe I don't know, it kind of over-eggs the pudding a little bit for me. I don't see how like a lot of the camera work that's used in the film necessarily warrants the plot or helps tell the story any more effectively. Some of it just feels like showing off for the sake of, look how impressive we can shoot this low-budget feature on and we're just going to have as many sweeping Steadicam shots like one after the next and it's impressive. Uh, interesting sound design, rest of it, it was, it was okay. I was kind of expecting a little bit more from that one as well. Yeah. Um, so a mixed bag so far in what I've been seeing. But uh, another one on that same service, which I watched recently enough, was called Blow the Man Down, which annoyingly my internet connection dropped and I have half an hour left of that film <laughs> to watch. <laughs> and I hate splitting up a film into two like that. Well, not into two, but watching the majority of it, I'm really enjoying it. But that owed quite a lot to uh, maybe another film like Brick in the sense that it's contemporary crime drama, but it 100% owes a lot and makes plenty of nods to kind of like 50s crime noir in the same way that Brick does. Like it sort of knowingly takes all the tropes of those types of films yeah. and sets them modern day with, again, similar to Brick, to sort of teenage protagonists. And it's set in a small fishing community. It's about a murder that takes place and these two girls trying to deal with the situation but it's really nicely shot the acting's really strong throughout it's quite quite well written just lots of fun ideas like it, it you might there's like some scenes in there where you'd be watching a group of old women walk into a scene and the dialogue and the tone of it is 100% owing to like you were watching like an old gangster movie of the 50s or something or yeah yeah Yeah. that typical sort of like you you know you're watching the scene play out and you know exactly where that type of dialogue is coming from but it's just more amusing and entertaining to watch because it's these women from this committee who have just all gathered to address this other woman about something she's been doing in the town that they've got an issue with but just the way it's shot it's very knowingly done like whoever's um kind of done it 100% 100% is making little nods to those films and stuff, which was quite fun. I enjoyed it yeah. on that level. Like I say, I haven't finished it though, so I can't give my final verdict, but that was one I enjoyed quite a lot. I do hate leaving films half finished. It kind of takes me <laughs> out of the second half then. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I need to get that one done. And my second choice that I wanted to talk to you all about today is New Girl. Here's a handy little TV show for you to watch as it's readily available in its entirety on Netflix. Starring Zoe Deschanel, Jake Johnson, Lamar Morris and Max Greenfield, it follows Jess, a quirky young teacher moving into a Los Angeles loft with three dudes, Nick, Winston and Schmidt. Dealing with themes of maturing relationships, career ambition and anxiety, starting a family, the show's seasons follows the cast deep into their 30s. It's fun, lighthearted, and a perfectly heartwarming show to binge throughout these lockdown periods. You'll grow attached to these living, breathing characters. If you're a fan of Friends, you'll love it. But even if you're not, and you despise American sitcoms, you'll still enjoy New Girl. Since its addition to Netflix programming, the show has gained a cult following. 
even leading to fans petitioning its return after a cancellation at the end of the sixth season. It was revised for an eight-episode final season that presented us with a satisfying conclusion. It's the perfect escapist show to watch during these challenging times. And then TV-wise, I recently enough finished binging on The Deuce. Nice. Uh, which was David Simon's miniseries set in 70s New York about pimps and girls on the street and the porn industry sort of developing in 70s New York. Uh, James Franco plays two roles in that brilliantly <laughs> in both performances. And through the miracle of technology, you get to watch him play two different parts as some brothers. And yeah, he does a great job. I can totally imagine him with a 70s fro and a 70s porn mustache yes yeah well the one the ones the one character that he plays really definitely plays up to like his james dean kind of vibe he's got going on like that sort of persona so one the one character is quite cocky and smooth and a bit of a ladies man that sort of type and then the other character He's a bit more sort of disheveled and I don't know, he's sort of the brains of the operation and has his mood swings and stuff like that. And yeah, very different side of James Franco's personality coming through with both the performances, but it's really good. The rest of the cast are great. And just the atmosphere of New York at that time, it's really, really well handled, really well depicted, very immersive experience with the sound design and just the way it's shot and stuff. It sort of treads that line between that level of detail that you got with his another show they did like The Wire. That, like I say, that sort of level of detail, but this time sort of period detail of New York at the time mixed with, I guess, elements of movies like Boogie Nights. Yeah. And even Goodfellas and a bit of Sopranos there. Are you going to throw in another TV show reference? But um, yeah, it's a great show. Uh, it's only three seasons as a whole. Doesn't out states welcome. Is that an Amazon one as well? No, that was a HBO series, that was. Okay. Yeah. That would be a, a download job or streaming service. I, I mean, be HBO Go, is it, to stream it? HBO Max, we we, won't, we don't have that here yet, unfortunately. Yeah. They might drive us to those illegal aspects of the... Uh... <laughs> I might use the term download. <laughs> it's a show you might need to download. Uh... <laughs> Through yeah. totally legal means. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. We don't condone any illegal activity on this podcast. <laughs> Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> Yeah, we can just have that pre-recorded and throw it in every time we mention something. Um, yeah, so that was great. I finished off binging on that. Uh, really enjoyed that. And TV-wise, uh, what else? Oh, yeah, actually, BBC iPlayer recently enough. I watched I watched a really great two-part documentary called The Mole okay. um, the other day, which is one of the strongest documentaries i've seen this year i really really enjoyed it there's been quite a few good documentaries this year in general but this one really stood out to me like for one just the disbelief over the events of the documentary itself just how far a filmmaker manages to like push access towards a subject matter like it's incredible what happens without ruining it too much for anybody involved but uh yeah, the general gist of it is that, well, so you've got this documentarian who has previously made a film in North Korea in his career. Send them two together too quickly. <laughs> That's confusing. Uh, but uh, yeah, so he, he made a documentary which got him banned from North Korea, uh, which was kind of a fairly comical documentary sort of. And he got kicked out of the country due to that. So years later, he decides to try and gain access and go back to North Korea but he has a mole, uh, this seemingly ordinary man who makes a point of the fact that he doesn't seem very spectacular at all. He's just going to blend into the background. And this guy joins the, I think it's like the the Denmark's Friends of North Korea. I can't remember the, the term for it. But ba basically, not like an embassy, but like these sort of friendship clubs of certain countries around the globe. And he joins this club. He sends them all in to join this club, to infiltrate the club and gradually work his way up. Because the reason for joining the club is the fact that the head of the club is allowed access to go into North Korea and 
he gets special access due to this. So gradually we watch this guy kind of work his way up until he manages to himself get a trip to North Korea. And it kind of spirals from there. I won't say too much beyond that, but uh, the way it's documentary is made is really interesting because you've got, you've got the experience of the guy actually filming at the time because he uses the excuse that he's filming for propaganda. So he's like making YouTube videos to promote the cause whilst he's there. So they, they willingly sort of let him film mm-hmm. um, whilst he's in these locations. And at the same time, that footage is being used to make the documentary that you're watching. But also you've got the mole himself and then another guy who's involved being debriefed by an ex MI5 agent who has been asked him by the filmmaker to basically do these debriefing sessions where she's interviewing the mole and the guy involved about their involvement in the whole story and asking them about their experience. So you kind of cut between these interviews and then the actual documentary itself, but she's allowing them to kind of like open themselves up and sort of spill their guts because she mentions that like debriefing is quite an important part of when you've been on a long undercover case for that sort of duration, you almost like need emotionally to sort of like spill your guts and to allow yourself to recover from what you've been through, the ordeal that you've been through in general. So yeah, that's the gist of it. But it's amazing what level of access for somebody making a documentary. Like there's one point in the documentary where she mentions as an agent that it's the most impressive investigation outside of anything that a government have organized themselves that she's ever heard of. Cool. And uh, the documentary itself is just got a really interesting balance between like, say all these really surprising moments where you're just like, I cannot believe that they are saying that to this guy right now on camera uh, mixed with like quite a wry sort of sense of humor by the guy that made the documentary and stuff. Um, so it's quite funny to watch at the same time. But yeah, it's a really interesting one. It's um, two parts. Some BBC iPlayer right now. Cool. Uh, it's well worth checking out. I might have. I enjoyed that a lot more than anything else I've seen in a long time documentary wise. A recent documentary I watched actually um, was the most recent new things that. Uh, gotten into was oh what was it called the pharmacist oh yeah yeah on yeah. netflix on netflix wasn't it mm-hmm. really really good like this one pharmacist who basically brought the fight to mega corporations over the opioid epidemic in america and it's fantastic the lengths that this guy goes to he's his son died of um or he got was it he got shot at a, a drug deal gone wrong basically and then went after, for years, went after um, a doctor who was prescribing opioids crazy amounts, basically to keep money coming in. And then all of this research and just obsession with finding out what's going on with this problem in America led him to getting in contact with the FBI, the DEA, hunting down these mega corporations. And it's just this one pharmacist guy who was just determined to fuck shit up you know and it's it's it was brilliant it was a, i think it was four episodes that would have been probably the most recent um little series i watched that was brand new to me apart from jessica jones <laughs> um but yeah mcmillions is another good one actually that's an older one i say older one older one that i've seen like out of what I've, I've watched recently when you mentioned the fbi that was good fun that was like a just some really interesting characters being interviewed in that. Some really sort of larger than life characters involved in the whole documentary. But that's about the scandal in the 1990s in America with the McDonald's Monopoly game that used to be played. Oh, yeah. Um, Macmillions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, just involvement of uh, instances where people had been trading off the winning tickets for the millions and selling them to people like you'd basically end up in this sort of scam with a gangster where you owed them a lot of money and you got to split the winnings but yeah it's really really fun documentary really great energy to it and uh the main guy from the fbi who they interview is just a brilliant character i was watching it and just thinking like this story's great and you're hilarious and really fun to watch and just think like in your head you would love it if someone like Matthew McConaughey played <laughs> you in a movie yeah and I was thinking it would make a fantastic movie if somebody dramatized it and cast somebody like that it would be really good fun yeah um, try and make that my next screenplay <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely um Mac Millions with McConaughey Mac- 
<laughs> was, uh, that was a HBO one as well, actually. Yeah. Uh, I had a bit of a binge on getting hold of some HP, HBO stuff. Yeah, my, my flatmate was watching that recently enough, actually, probably a couple of months. With COVID, time is all relative. I don't know what was two months ago. I don't know what was six months ago, to be honest. So we are just going to close our show with a few choices for you or some things we're going to recommend to the other that you can feel free to check out as well, listener, if you're interested. Uh, my first choice for you, Carlos, mm-hmm. is the recent enough version from this year of The Invisible Man, a movie which has been done countless amounts of times by a few people. And I've enjoyed most versions of that story. Uh, Splendid. And this one in particular, I thought was a really strong adaptation. It's very interesting. Uh, directed by Lee Wannell and starring Elizabeth Moss. Cool. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a bit different. It's well worth checking out. Um, that would be my choice for you to experience. A nice old horror movie for this time of year. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> and uh, for you, Dean, my friend, I would like you to read. <laughs> I'll recommend a a chunky old comic series that I okay. very much enjoyed by one of my favourite writers, Brian K. Vaughan, published by Vertigo, and it's Why the Last Man, which will soon be adapted into a TV show called oh, Why, and I think it's being produced by Fox, but I'm not 100% sure. Oh, great. I definitely have to check that out then. Uh, it'd be enjoyable to experience that before the show's made. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Yeah, definitely check that out. Uh, the space between episodes, just to let you all know, uh, it's going to be a monthly podcast. That might seem a bit of a long wait, but the reason behind it is hopefully that if you did want to join in um, the fun of checking out the recommendations as well, uh, something like my recommendation would obviously only take you a couple of hours, but something like Carlos's may take you a lot longer to enjoy. So we yeah. just thought it's a nice gap between episodes uh, for you to experience the recommendation. And then maybe... If you're lucky, we've got enough time to do it since we're in October. It'd be quite nice to do a Halloween special, I reckon. Oh, very exciting. Yes, indeed. And for anyone, just to mention, for anyone who has never picked up a comic book in their life, just a quick thing. If it looks daunting, if you look up Why the Last Man and you see, oh my God, there's 60 issues of this. How am I going to do this? I guarantee you could probably blast through about 20 issues in an evening if you sit down and really get sucked into a story so don't be daunted by the the, the amount of, of of issues the issues are basically those little floppy comics you'll find in comic shops that they're released once a month the good thing about why the last man it finished a long time ago all 60 issues are readily available i have them all in one big chunky omnibus edition out in my living room so don't be daunted by it that's why we're giving you all a month <laughs> <laughs> But in between that month, hopefully this uh, this little taster of the Halloween special alert, whet your appetite a little bit more for the show as well. And I can actually speak about what I've been watching recently, which would be nice because I generally check out a lot of horror in general as a person anyway. But this time of year, I immerse myself in the subject. So yeah, be plenty to talk about. I'll be nearing into um, my Mike Flanagan list, who's uh, I can talk all about that in the Halloween special, uh, an up and coming little director that I'm really into so looking forward to that yeah also a big fan brilliant okay thanks a lot for listening that is the end of our first episode and we will be speaking to you again for a halloween special enjoy goodbye ta-ta oh and i nearly forgot for you dedicated listeners out there who want to stay right to the end of this episode we have a little special treat for you at the end what we like to refer to as our tangents series So if you'd like to listen to the end of the theme, there's a little treat there for you as well. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Hi, listeners. It's time for my tangents on today's episode. As I mentioned the movie feedback earlier, I'd also like to recommend some of the following unnerving tales also set around a recording studio. The very underrated movies Pontypool and Barbarian Sound Studio, which both use sound design and their claustrophobic environments to chilling effect, 
creating wonderfully paranoid atmospheres, each led by a great central performance. Jeremy Dyson's short story collection, The Haunted Book, contains a great little tale called A Wire With Gain, about a reunited 80s band who returned to the same studio, one of them suffered a traumatic experience in years before. Another fellow League of Gentlemen member, Mark Gatiss, wrote and directed one of the BBC's annual A Ghost Story for Christmas series titled The Dead Room, starring a wonderful Simon Callow as the host of a horror anthology series having to face his own demons. And then finally, going straight to the source of radio itself, these audio drama podcasts will leave your ears chilled to the bone. The episode titled Dead Air of the brilliantly produced horror anthology series Tales from Beyond the Pale and lower-budget yet nonetheless impressive one-man productions of Campfire Radio Theatre, with the excellent episode titled Night Delivery. Also, on a final note, something which links my two subjects of Feedback and The Outsider are actors Eddie Marsden and Paddy Considine, as Eddie, along with the rest of the cast, give career-best performances in Paddy's stunning directorial debut movie, Tyrannosaur. All well worth checking out. And that's the end of my tangents. So now it's time for my tangent section of the podcast. I mentioned briefly earlier when I was talking about Daredevil, a certain writer by the name of Ed Brubaker. Now, there will be a lot of superhero comic talk on this show, but if that's not your cup of tea and you're still interested in the medium of comics, Ed Brubaker might be for you. So I just wanted to mention a few different books that Ed Brubaker has written that might tickle your fancy depending on your tastes. My goal is to get more people reading comics. Being predominantly movie fans, I'll try to equate some of these comics to some of your favourite movies. If you enjoy films like Pulp Fiction or The Godfather, you should read Criminal or Cruel Summer. If you're into James Bond films, but you're tired of all the sexism and chauvinism, you should check out Velvet. Velvet's a kick-ass 50-year-old woman based in the 70s. She's a secretary with a deadly past. And the final book I want to recommend is something for those of you who don't think you can get into comics, but this one might just crack you. It's 70 pages, which in comic terms you'll read in about 20 minutes, if even, and it's called Pulp. Pulp is an original graphic novel, a short little graphic novella about a struggling writer in, I think it's the 50s or 70s in New York City. And he's writing comics, a pulp magazine um, about the Wild West. And slowly we begin to learn that all of the stories are about him. It's a great little book. Pick it up cheap, check it out and enjoy. Enjoy.